0: This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Skull Splitter Dice and listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DM's Guild affiliate links. And thank you to our patrons from Patreon.com slash The Tome Show who support us directly. Welcome to The Tome, a and d news, reviews, and interviews show. And I'm your Tome host, Jeff Griner. And in this new type of episode that... We're calling Surprise Round because I came up with the name about 30 minutes ago. Uh, we'll be throwing mythological lightning at the mythic odysseys of Theros. We have our chosen champions of the gods here to give us an early take on this new book. And I'll talk about what this new kind of episode is all about in a moment. First off, we have the man from the basics of the game, from the monstrous psychologist, from my own dreams. Jeremiah McCoy, welcome back
1: hi (laughs) i thought i'd change it up
0: there you go (laughs) Uh, and secondly we have the man who slayed the infinite heads of the internet our own social media manager and the hero we need right now ismail alvarez
2: (laughs) glad to be here as usual
0: okay so in this episode we are discussing the mythic odysseys of theros the latest book ...from Wizards of the Coast, and the second book wherein they have converted a Magic the Gathering setting into a D&D setting, the first one being Ravnica. Uh, publication of the print version was delayed due to pandemic-related issues... But the digital version came out last week, and we've taken a gander and plan to give you our first impressions. That's sort of the idea behind this new format for uh, an episode that we're experimenting with. Uh, the idea is that we're going to try to do these surprise round episodes, uh, or at least we're going to test it out a few times, very, very quickly after a book comes out. I'm going to try to get it within like a week of release that we record sort of our first impressions. Uh, so... You probably have to understand we haven't done a super deep and thorough read of the book yet. We definitely probably haven't played the things from the book yet. Um, but doing it this way, we can get a very first quick impression, so people can get some some quick ideas about what this what's in this book and what whether or not it might be of interest. And then we can sort of take our time. We can take a few months. We can make sure people have a chance to really play with it and test it and 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 poke and prod it and see where the cracks are Uh, and then uh, several months later we can sort of do our deep more meaningful review Uh, as opposed to what we've been doing for the last decade or so which is sort of an in-between where we wanted to get it out quick but not so quick that we haven't done an in-depth look at it. This way I'm hoping that when we do the deep, meaningful uh, review, we can have more people on uh, to review it that have, have played with it more and have that experience and have found those, those areas that we may otherwise have missed from just doing a deep read. Uh, so if this becomes normal, every big Watsi product will have two episodes, one focused on our first impressions and a later one several months later with a deep analysis. Of those experiences, I'm curious to see how people like it. It's something I've been thinking about for a while, and then it came up on our Discord channel, and we talked about it uh, a few weeks ago. And I thought, let's give it a shot and see how it goes. You guys, good with that?
2: Sure, absolutely.
0: So I'll be curious to see how it goes. I have no like normally when we do a review, it goes a good hour or so, um, give or take. Um, given that. We haven't necessarily had the deep the depth of analysis at this point. Um, I'll be interested in in sort of seeing how long it takes us, right? Um, you no, know, I may not have as much to say uh, given that I haven't deeply read the the setting section of this book, for example, um, at this point. So uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll be curious to see. Then again, we all like to talk, and so that I mean that that goes par- parcel with podcasting, right? So maybe we'll fill the time.
1: You could ask me about something geeky, and I'll talk for hours if you want me to. Mm.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. There are people. Uh, one of the things I always, I've always said, uh, I discovered early on in my podcasting time, that um, one of my favorite interviews is Ed Greenwood because I could come up with three questions, and he will talk for hours. This is a man who knows knows how to tell a story uh, and likes to go on and on doing so. <laughs> so there are people who can do that, and, and I think in the geek community, especially so. Sure. Uh, before we dive further into our discussion of the book, though, I want to thank our sponsor, Skull splitter Dice. Uh, if you can get to them through at skullsplitterdice.com/tome show, I think is the the link. Um, that gets you uh, access to our landing page, and there's a coupon code there. Uh, they are they make some great dice of all sorts, including metal dice that I, are my favorite metal dice. And what's more, uh, they're Current sponsorship is actually sponsoring a series of contests. They they're giving me hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of their products to give away uh, in four contests, one per month. And I'm like, hey, I'm on board with this because uh, then I get to you know share the love with the listeners instead of just uh, take sponsorships to help pay bills and whatever. Uh, so this month it is June. Um, the contest is twitter focused so make sure you're following the tome show it is at the tome show uh and find details there about how to enter the contest next month i'm currently thinking it's going to be facebook based so make sure you're following the tome show on facebook for details about that as well uh along with that there are links to all of the the fantastic products that they're offering there's a set of metal dice there's a, a bundle there's a dice tray from their new dice tray sets um there's uh there's a bunch of stuff. They've, they've got a bu- like three or four different uh, – one of their nice metal cases. There's a whole bunch of stuff in this one bundle just for this month. So people should definitely check that out. Okay. Let's get to what this episode is about, right? The, the Mythic Odysseys of Theros. Um, in, an, in an effort of full disclosure, uh, I am a – I think it's called an insider, a D&D Beyond Insider. So I did not pay for the book. I got a, a free copy that way. Uh, and I want to just ch- make sure or check to make sure people has an opportunity to find out where they're at there. I- is anybody else working from Review Copies?
1: Um, no, I-, I-, I went ahead and bought, uh, pre-ordered it when they announced it.
2: Nice. Likewise, I did the same. Okay, good. So
0: let's talk about uh, the Mythic Odysseys of Thera.
2: did want to mention... Uh, that this is the first book that was offered at a discount if you pre-ordered the book at your local gaming store, and I thought that was really neat. Um, something that they haven't seen and something that hmm. people have been asking for for a long time. I just figured that merited mentioning.
0: Yeah, that that's absolutely. I mean, that is something that's been on in in discussions for a long time through several editions of if I'm going to buy the book digitally or physically, how can I how can I justify buying it multiple times on multiple formats? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the,
1: the only thing on that, that that made me sad is I had already pre-ordered it before, uh, on D&D Beyond before oh. they, they announced it. So I, I was
0: like, I could have gotten it for
1: free. Sad.
0: <laughs> oh, well. So so uh, Ish, that, is that how you got the book then? Is
2: that you pre-ordered I, it? I did pre-order it through my uh, local gaming store. Uh, it's, it, it's not free. They give you a 50% discount code on the digital order which is you know it's something it's uh, as i mentioned something that people have been asking for for a long time but yes i pre-ordered the book which got delayed in printing as we all know just due to all kinds of circumstances but they offered to release it digitally on the original release date and then release the physical print uh, much later i think it's sometime in july if i'm not mistaken
0: yes that's right assuming that things continue on as planned so, so they, so you pre-ordered it. I want to understand how this process works. So, you pre-ordered it from your local game store. They gave you a code then that you were able to use.
2: Correct. Okay. And then you just input the code when you buy the the book, and then it, it takes the fifty percent off and so on. Okay.
0: Let's talk about what this book is then. So we have we have this Magic: The Gathering setting, and and it is. Largely what Greek mythology based, uh, Jeremiah, you're more of my magic friend, right? <laughs> so, so, yeah,
1: so magic, uh, this is uh, the setting I think they came out with it in 2013 originally, uh, and it is the setting that uh, the sort of iconic magic character Gideon Jura is from, um, and it was a pretty popular setting. And then they moved into a whole, they cycle through settings and recently came back again. um, And it uh, each of the gods, which, you know, isn't made clear in the text here, obviously, because they try and lean away from the way magic is uh, structured, but each of the gods tie to different colors of mana in, in magic. And um, some uh, tied to two, and some more just represent the one color. Right. Um, the bigger, greater gods tend to be one color. Okay. And the lesser gods tend to be uh, combined.
0: So the what is it? Uh, the the sun god is that Helios? Helio- yeah, or? Helios. Yeah, Helios. Would
1: would yeah. be white then? Yeah, he would be the white mana, and uh, uh, the Smith is is red. Mm-hmm. Uh, Erebus the death god is is black
0: you know and 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 whether that is whether this is good or bad I, I don't know but I did I did not find myself going through this book and thinking about the mana color connections between those things and and magic I like when I when we when I read the Ravnica book I absolutely did like I looked at those factions those guilds and said oh well this is that those color combinations that's that color combinations I didn't think about that at all with this I
1: I I don't think I have either in in my uh, read through admittedly like, I haven't you know given a deep dive but yeah it uh, my look at it was not in that structure but I was thinking about it today and both Ravnica and this do something that maybe some of the other settings that evolved sort of organically don't. In that the the gods fit within a structure because it starts from there mm. that is less haphazard than say a Forgotten Realms or Dragon uh, Dragonlance or or, or or something like that. This feels much more. Like there is an underlying structure to how everything fits together, and even if you're not seeing the colors, you're you, you can sort of nothing seems like an outlier. Hmm. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Forgotten
0: Realms is filled with outliers.
1: It's like well, why do we have a bunch of Egyptian gods for no apparent reason. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> oh, and and I and I made made reference to this before we started recording and. I know somebody who could give you that reason, and it would take five hours, and he would love to show sure. you all about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, and,
1: and, and I know the backstory on that, but right. it is, um, it is interesting to see that structure and how it manifests in a, a much more cohesive mythology that makes sense and fits together a little bit better than maybe some of the ones that evolved
0: naturally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely no, um, and that's that's interesting. I didn't even I, I didn't. I looked at this product and I said, this book has a lot of really cool ideas for how to run a really specific type of god focused game. Right, like I can run a campaign here uh, that has a very specific feel to it and do it very well. Um, that I think is really engaging and interesting to me um, and the magicness of it all never really occurred to me in the way it did when I looked at Ravnica Like Ravnica felt like a magic world whereas this is a feels like a, an interesting world that t- is telling a specific type of story that I don't feel the magic in it for better or for, whether that's good or bad to people I don't know uh, but it doesn't feel like a magic world to me. It, feels, it feels definitely Greek mythology to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't necessarily feel magic to me.
2: <laughs> well, and, you know, uh, one of the things that I was going to bring up about this book is that it seems to give you something that maybe the older editions of D&D had. Uh, like, 5th edition really, like, took a right turn away from having... Settings be very uh, deity centered. Uh, you don't even have to be a uh, uh, you know worship of God to be a cleric of something. Um, uh, unlike in previous editions, likewise paladins and so on. Um, so I have noticed that in a lot of the fifth edition games that I've either run or been in, that the intervention of deities has been way lower. Uh, the uh, kind of inclusion of of what deities want or their kind of maybe their cat's paws want has been way lower. Mm-hmm. So this is almost kind of like. Uh, hey, do you do you want to have your gods back? Do you want to have like a, a game that is very uh, deity focused? Here's the toolkit for that. This is what that would look like if you want to inject uh, kind of that uh, god focus back into your game.
0: Well, and and at the same time, like you're, you're right. I think and it was very intentional. If you looked at the. Um, if you looked at the the storyline, the novels of the Forgotten Realms, right? There was a very intentional um, effort made to sort of have the gods take sort of a backseat a little bit more because they'd gone through from second edition through fourth edition, like the gods were walking around doing stuff on a, on a fairly regular basis. Um, so, it yeah. So they've taken the more of a backseat; they're a lot less involved. I don't like, I think you're right that this is a great toolkit for telling a very god focused story. I don't know that it's the kind of thing where I'm going to start peeling those bits out and, and, you know, putting them into my other established settings. Like, if I did a Forgotten Realms campaign where I wanted the gods to be active, that's not, I don't think, how I would do it. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah.
2: Um, I, I guess,
0: but if you wanted to have a campaign that was really like not just we're focused on one of the characters is sort of given a quest by the gods or whatever, and um, uh, and and directly intervenes in things, um, which is more of how it tends to happen in the realms. But if you wanted to tell a very specific story of no, 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 we're all working for the gods, whether we like it or not, and it's and that's the theme of the whole story. Um, in a very specific way this is a toolkit that feels very interesting for doing that uh,
1: I, uh, I I feel like this is much more in a first edition treatment of gods in some mm. regards in the way that they're so hands-on it feels like deities and demigods
0: okay and I think um, if I remember right from the uh, from dragon talk the official DD podcast I think they referenced that as being a source of inspiration several times in working on this book.
1: Um, I, I have pointed out to some folks that, that, you know, if if your jam is, in fact, Greek mythology, this is obviously going to be your setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the gods have different names, but, you know, some of it is you file the numbers off and, right. you, oh, okay, that's Vulcan or, or Hephaestus. <laughs> right. Um,
0: I mean, there, but, were, there were instances where I'm looking through the setting information. I'm like, oh, OK, so this, this is Sparta. That's Athens. Got it.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's absolutely true with the caveat of adding, uh, you know, it's more like the Disney version of Greek mythology than the actual version of Greek mythology, which often started with the phrase Zeus got horny. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah it, 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 there's, it's a lot less rapey it's a little cl- little uh, friendlier than actual Greek myths but um, yeah I, I, I dig that sort of hands on gods thing if you're going to do uh, like in a game where gods are definitively there and yeah. doing stuff this is a good way to do it Mm-hmm. I I've always sort of I, I've been conflicted about how forgotten realms has done it. Cause it keeps switching back and forth and it's like, yeah, they're there. No, they're not. Yes, they are. I mean, they exist that their impact on the world exists, but, uh, they could never make up their mind of, of whether or not they were going to be involved in the world directly or not. Mm-hmm. And now it's in a not state. Mm-hmm. Um, And this is very much a, well, if you're going to have gods involved directly in the world, this is a good way to do it. Um, Even if I weren't running this game, I think there are some things I would take from it uh, and and play with. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: No, I think there are absolutely some ideas here to to peel out. But I think there's a lot, like one of the things that I like about, what, or I think I'm going to like about what they've done here. That raises a lot of interest for me um, is the way that every like everything is tied to this this specific type of story that that yeah. you're going to tell that you are a godly champion, like it or not. You know, you are Hercules of the world, uh, and and this is how you tell that kind of story, right? And everybody else in the party is Hercules as well, or you know, other various champions and what have you. And there's all these like you can drill in. Like the, the, the player options supports that, the the new subclass options supports that, the races support that, but then like you dig into there's sections on um, the kind of champions that are s- selected from each god and the, the piety system uh, and how you can r- sort of raise and lower your score and your piety with a god and the benefit – the actual – in-game mechanical benefits of ha- having a high piety, the um, the the kind of adventures you would go on uh, as this kind of uh, of champion, um, the 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 inclusion of what was it, the the ordeals uh, right. in, in there, you know the, these other kinds of things that you would do as a hero as a champion uh, are all part of it. Even the, like the magic items and the the monsters and all these other things are all sort of tied to this idea of let's give people a really robust system of how to tell that specific type of story. Could I rip a few things off and shove them in other games? I, I, absolutely. But I'll, there's a lot of things I don't. I feel like work really well together and I'd like to just sort of keep them in their little co- co- cohesive bubble.
1: Yeah, um, I think... One thing that you can take away from this in, in lessons and, and how to use systems to reinforce ideas. So there are, like, there are plenty of settings where you are an adventurer in a world of adventurers. Forgotten Roms does this a lot. Uh, Greyhawk, mm-hmm. Mystara, what have you. And then there are places where you are, your PCs are supposed to be special. And in this setting, your PCs are supposed to be special. Mm-hmm. They are not just any, you know, mercenary who, who goes around. You, you are tied to special destinies and, and fate, and you you can t- tear yourself away from fate, or you can embrace those special destinies, and you can conflict with gods and so on. And it, it go- does a lot to make the player feel special, the piety system's good at that. Uh, the supernatural gifts, like everybody starts. I was like, I, I looked at that and I was like, these are all really interesting, and I want to make a dozen more mm-hmm. because I, uh, the the
0: idea of just here's something that makes your character special. Here you go. Yeah, although some of like I look at those and I and that's part of the reason I hesitate to say I can just tear these out and put them in in whatever game, right? Because this is a world where you're supposed to be more special than everybody else, the, the supernatural gifts, the piety score, they also all come with a power boost. Like there's a mechanical benefit to all of these. And these characters are going to be a little bit more powerful than characters that aren't from this setting. And I think that's fine in a world where you're supposed to be super special. I think that there are mechanical questions that I'll be interested to dig in more to in, in how does the balance hold up over time compared to to other things I I think one of the, and, and ish jump in if
1: if I'm talking <laughs> over I'm I'm
2: Sorry, no I'll say something but you say it first. Or you okay. say your, your thing first. Uh,
1: there is this notion that you should have your characters balance against all of the nebulous other characters in the world and why i mean outside of adventures uh league which obviously you kind of want to have everybody on the same field because they're playing through the same adventurers, and you you don't want those adventures to you know play the same for everybody else adventures league sure but anything else any home game why can't your characters be more powerful than everybody else of the same level? There's nothing that should stop
0: you from doing that. Oh, sure. But, and, and and as somebody who's played in my campaigns, I think you're well aware that in my games they almost always are. The PCs are almost always higher powered than they should be at their level. Um, but I also know that there, there are people who will have a heavy concern about balance issues, and when you are presenting an option that that makes the players more powerful that doesn't necessarily that then it it changes the encounter development math you know uh the monster math all that sort of comes into conflict and there's many people that are a lot worried about that i don't tend to be one of them uh because i never bothered with the math of developing my encounters anyway but i don't know that i'm the, the person who needs to hear this message <laughs> that, that there is a power boost happening, and there's not really a cost to getting that power boost other than a role playing cost, which is not necessarily a, a mechanical cost. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's, um, and, and I, I think changing up your, uh, monster mouth is certainly something that you need to think about when you're putting this together, but, um, but it's it's not so bad. I mean,
0: no, not, none of these yeah. none of these characters are. It's not second edition Dark Sun uh, significantly powerful <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> than more compared to people of other worlds. But but right. it's a but it's a reason that and and, and uh, I think uh, Steel your mind in the uh, in the chat room pointed this out. It's one of those things where I, it would I would want it to be a, a, an all party. Thing or not, right? Everybody needs yeah. to be in on this system or not, because that one person that's in it and nobody else is is going to get a little bit of a bump that nobody else is getting.
1: Yeah, and, and I think the, the I I I think one of the the elements that uh, should be discussed when you're looking at that is you know what powers are they actually getting? Mm-hmm. Um, most of the supernatural gifts. Really, kind of reflect racial abilities. So you're basically picking up a second racial ability. Like there's one that's kind of like the orc ability, where that if you get dropped down to zero, you 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 don't go unconscious. Mm-hmm. Or or uh, uh, there's one that uh, actually makes you sort of like a warforged. Like it, it's a bunch of stuff that reflects. It's like you're getting a second race off. Option along with your 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 standard,
2: mm-hmm. like you know, I think especially now most D and D games kind of favor a more heroic element, a more epic element. Uh, it's a very specific game, maybe a birthright or maybe certain kinds of greyhawk games where you're. It's meant to be gritty. It's meant to be deadly. It's meant to be like you're not. You're you're interesting, but you're not special. You could die at any minute, and then you're just gonna have to bring in the next. You know. Uh, schmuck that's going to go schlep around the the dungeons until it happens again. Uh, But I think what we've kind of uh, come to in 5th edition is that, yeah, you can play those gritty games, but like it's it's definitely, just like we've veered away from uh, deity-focused campaigns, we've kind of veered towards uh, being a little bit more awesome in general. Uh, And one thing I was going to say earlier is that uh, if I was going to take this specific kind of system for deities and what have you uh and apply it to a setting i, I wouldn't necessarily do it with forgotten realms mm. especially since as you mentioned it's it's definitely less deity centric in this edition uh, but it would be great for dragonlance i mean depending on the era of that of course there are areas of dragonlance where the deities are, are less involved but like i would i would totally run a dragonlance game using this system to be like okay yeah, you're a knight of Tachesis, or you you worship Paladine, or, you know, what what have you. Uh, and it would be a real good representation of, like, the real interesting and awesome larger-than-life <laughs> figures. And it would help you uh, actually be on par with so often the novels without feeling like you're always following in their shadow.
0: Yeah, no, so I, I'm imagining uh, Tasselhoff Burfoot, champion of Paladine. Right. Uh, <laughs> you could actually... Like use the piety
1: system and tie absolutely. up to the uh, in Forgotten Realms to the uh, uh what, were, what was the term in the Forgotten Realms that they had for the the ba- chosen the chosen oh yeah yeah you could use the piety system mm-hmm. and the supernatural oh, yeah. guests to reflect the oh, okay the gods have started choosing people again this person's right. a chosen of so and so yeah
0: mm-hmm. absolutely and I think I, th- I and in that case like the chosen are. I would argue that The Chosen should get even more of a power boost than what the supernatural <laughs> gifts give, right? And so you use the system, you file off the serial numbers, and you, you throw in a few extra things here and there. And, and I think you can use it for a lot of different things. I think you can use the con- – I think mean, honestly, the Piety system doesn't feel a lot different to me in some ways than the faction system other than it comes with some sort of mechanical bump, right? And, and I think yeah. you could you – could, Develop mechanical bumps within certain factions, and and now you don't have to be a champion of a god. You can be a champion of a god, or you you know, or you can be a member of the Harpers or whatever, and and they all sort of follow suit.
1: I think it it does reinforce um, behavior. Like you get a reward for basically doing something that your god would like. Yeah. Um. So it is a way of guiding character behavior with benefits for following that, that that guidance.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So I think there are things here though, that are very easily portable into, into lots of different things. Right. I, 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 one of the things I really like is that the, I like the idea of a game that sort of comes together, right? Like, like this book has a type of story to tell and presents you with a lot of the tools to tell that story and, and that's one of the things I like about stuff like this. I like the idea of the game in a box, only in this mm-hmm. case I've got D&D and this is a, this is a campaign in a, in a book, right? Uh, and I sure. like it's, that it's cohesive and it's tied together well and it's, and it's all of that. Um, that said, there are parts that I think are very easily like I can, I can take all of these racial options and stick them in places, right? I can I can allow anybody pretty much anywhere to play a centaur or a leonin or uh, a minotaur or a sat- satyr or whatever, right? Sure. Um, and it's, it's worth probably not-, not that guy, but th- that one guy. <laughs> that, probably
1: yeah. The one, yeah. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh,
0: and it, and it's worth noting for people that um, those races plus Triton and human are the only ones in this setting. Right, human, centaur, leonin, uh, minotaur, Satyr, and triton are the only playable races in Theros. Right.
1: Uh, I thought there was an
0: elf, but you, you might be right. Um, yeah, uh, and, and I found that the the new subclasses, there's the the College of Eloquence and the path, uh, the Oath of Glory Paladin. Um, uh, the first one is for the bard, I, fe- I felt like those could be very easily taken anywhere and, and playable. Like those, those subclasses felt a little more generic to the point that it could be very easily without even without even really doing much filing off of serial numbers, just work in other places. I was looking for like things in these subclasses that played off of the piety score or, or that kind of stuff. And, and they, they avoided that and it helps create more portability.
1: I think the Triton got updated a little. If I remember correctly, the last time they presented the Triton, it did not have uh, dark vision. I think it does now. Yeah, it's got it now, and I don't think it did in the previous version. So that's a
2: uh, that's a a useful update, if I'm remembering that correctly. I think it's a definite uh, shift away from Volos Guide. Uh, which I think is uh, definitely an overall positive. But Volo's Guide was this kind of presentation of races as a take it or leave it. You know, these are weird options that you might find interesting. Uh, we're not going to make them balanced. I think they were they were really upfront about that. We're not going to make them balanced, but if you want to play them, here you go. That's why you had a lot of the monster races that actually had racial ability score penalties and so on. There's being uh, reintroduced like goblins and Eberron, orcs and Eberron, so on and so forth. And, of course, here you've got, uh, you know, um, tritons. They seem to be balancing them a little bit more better, not just so that they're uh, odd choices, but uh, balanced choices as well as interesting. Okay. Um, yeah,
1: I, I think... Uh, um, can we talk about the subclasses for a moment? Yeah. So, I tend to play talky characters.
0: What?
1: Yes <laughs> Both of you I think have played game Run games where I'm a player On occasion I tend to play talky characters It's just something mm-hmm. I, I do uh, And um, Part of that is just leaning into something I'm somewhat good at You know I have a, a decent voice Good timbre I can Maintain a conversation without You know suddenly becoming super self-conscious about it uh, a lot of the time. So, great. The College of Eloquence bard is, oh, you want to play the talker? Here. We're going to turn that up to 11, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's one more. It's a bit louder. Um, the, it is <laughs> the most social, powerful subclass probably in the entire game. The fact that you, uh, at third level, you make a charisma check, you can treat a D trinity roll of nine or lower as a ten.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: With all of the bonuses that you're going to get from being a bard anyway, that's basically saying, unless I'm trying to convince a god to start following me, if I, yeah, if there's a skill check involved. I will probably get it eventually, and that's that's really powerful. So, people, uh, DMs who have this in your game, be aware that skill checks are not magic. You what? do not necessarily get that. Let them. Well, I made the skill roll, yes, but that does not mean that you suddenly change this person's. I don't know, sexual preference or, right.
0: <laughs> or, or something. Yeah, you know, that is impossible. Uh, on the, se- I think that the the advice can go the other direction as well Um, because this is a subclass that is really focused on those social skills Um, and if you're playing in a game where your DM doesn't care as much about that you're you're never going to talk your way out of the fight uh, and and you need to make sure you are a well sort of balanced well built uh, effective combat machine um, the, the, the College of Eloquence bard isn't useless in those situations, right? Uh, it, does, yeah. it does have better inspiration than other bards, which is nice. Oh, like the yes. idea that I can give you inspiration and you just keep getting inspiration until you're successful at that role. At whatever role yeah. you're, you know, you failed. Okay, that's unfortunate. That that failed, but now you still have inspiration. You didn't lose it because you because you failed, and you can just sort of keep going. Like that's kind of sweet. And then what is it the 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 later one where then you can pass it on? Like I I, I have the bardic inspiration, and then um, uh oh, oh oh and then I so I so I use it, and then after I'm done using it, I can pass it on to another user, and it can just sort of. Uh, get multiple uses that way like it does some cool stuff with inspiration but I don't know that that's enough for me to say this is a viable subclass in a game where the DM is not telling a story that's interested in your your talking through things
1: yeah if, if it's not social right. it's not 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 going to be as, as powerful but any game with like political intrigue and mm-hmm. social maneuvering and all of that this is the most powerful subclass in the game.
0: In the, in those in those elements of the game, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, that's that's. Uh, I that, I actually I found that um, subclass on first blush to be more interesting to me than the the paladin uh, oath of glory uh, uh, subclass that that which is is really sort of tied thematically into this sort of heroism uh thing although I, I, I did read through the Paladin uh, oath of glory and think, oh this would have been really good for one of my players when he made his character who wanted to go off and become you know gain glory and, and fame and be be a big deal hero and whatever um, but it never really like came out it never really tied much into the story and whatever but I think if there had been this sort of mechanical hook, to reinforce it, it might've been a more integral part of who the character actually played as. Um, so so there's definitely a place where the Oath of Glory, I think, can shine and can reinforce a type of character concept.
2: And I almost wish that there had been uh, kind of like a fighter equivalent to that, because I like mm-hmm. tying it to a Paladin almost is a little bit uh, restricting in a story sense. Uh, because you want someone who's like, you know, you're, you're, Hercules type and, and goes off and, and kind of, uh, beat thing, beats things up until the problem is solved. Even if the problem was, wasn't beating things up. Like, that's kind of what I think of when I think of Hercules. Uh, but like the fact that it's tied to, you know, the, the paladin and everything that they mm-hmm. do, it, it works thematically and it's interesting. Right. But I think there's like just that little disconnect where it's like, it would have been I, and this is just me being uh, silly, but it would have been really cool as a fighter archetype. I thought, like that was that was my thought looking through. It. It's like, oh man, I really wish this was like a fighter thing and not well, a paladin.
0: And I think, I th- and I think you you kind of hinted at the exact thing that's on my mind there, though, is that I think you're right if I'm talking about a general sort of subclass concept. But if I'm thinking about a Theros subclass where it's all about the gods, it kind of makes mm-hmm. sense here, right? Well, I mean, you mentioned uh, Ish, Ish mentioned
1: Hercules. This is Disney Hercules. This <laughs> is the one who will, uh, who will pause and do a, a wink and a, a, a finger guns
2: <laughs>
1: and, at, at his friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what the smi- the inspiring smite feels like to me. It's <laughs> like I just hit this guy, I'm gonna wink and uh, finger pu- uh, finger guns at my friend and they're gonna be more awesome. <laughs>
0: and it's a little bit, it's a little bit uh, warlordy from fourth edition, right? It is, yeah, it is. It's not, it, and it's not the only time I went through this book and started drawing fourth edition comparisons. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So, okay.
1: uh, if you missed the, the warlord, this is not unlike one. <laughs> it's not a warlord. But it's got some warlordiness to it, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely close enough that you you, you will miss it less. <laughs> there
0: you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, Jeremiah, you wanted to talk about the subclasses, and we've talked about a lot of other things. Is there? And we've talked about piety and and the the section. There's a whole chapter that goes sort of through each of the gods and talks about. Who do they choose as champions and how do you use them uh, and that kind of stuff? Uh, Is that also the chapter where – no, it's later on uh, where they're talking about building campaigns where there's also a whole chapter on – and now we're going to go through each of the gods again and tell you how they might be the patron – of the heroes in a, to, to build a campaign or they might be the villain and you can sort of mix and match that way uh, I thought it was really well done but th- but to reinforce how much this is about telling stories about the gods and generally these specific gods uh, although you could file the numbers off and make things work um, th- there's multiple chapters where it's like okay here's a chapter about this now let's do it god by god by god and go through each one of them and explain it to you and then how to do it right
1: yep and the uh, I, I think the uh, it's the section I spent the least amount of time skimming because we were just doing the, the initial mm-hmm. thing uh, the adventures side of it but it, it, it what I did see was was like okay yeah that, that, that fits with the overall theme of the book uh, I'm going to say something about what I saw in there that uh, I <sighs> I said about Ravnica you have a magic setting and there's very little acknowledgement of the of the overall metaverse of of that setting like uh, the characters that sort of exist in and out of the setting uh, are they, they get mentioned but they never really explain who they are or and uh, how that you can actually pull some decent stories out of the magic meta setting and have it interface with this setting. Um, More so in Ravnica where there was a whole war going on in Ravnica at the time they released it and they just didn't mention it in, in the Ravnica book. But there's, there's stuff going on that comes from outside and they just sort of don't put it in.
0: Yeah, so as a non-magic player, I think that's part of why this works so much for me in terms of it doesn't have a lot of – it doesn't feel like a magic setting to me. It just feels like an interesting kind of game to play, you know? Um, Sure. Whereas Ravnica – and I think think they have to make the choice to either – Go whole hog into that, or don't. Right? In this case, they chose not to. And you're right. If you're looking for a lot of the meta story, a lot of the t- discussion of planeswalkers and all of that connected to Theros, it's it, so far as I can tell, it's not there. Um, yeah. In in Ravnica, it was more hinted at, um, and, and, and but that's all you got was sort of a hint at it. Which, as a non, as somebody who doesn't know that lore and doesn't know a lot of that uh, stuff like, that was just frustrating for me. Like, it's like, okay, sure. this sounds like a really cool thing. I wish you could tell me more about it. But I think because of the fifth edition conceit, uh, the, their system of one book and done, um, it's hard to get into that, right? I, one of the things um, that meant there was probably way more product than there needed to be, but that I liked in uh i think it was mostly in fourth edition they did this right is that there was usually like the setting and dm book there was a player book full of player options and then there was an adventure for a different setting like these this is the kind of book where it's like i could get behind that like a three book Mm -hmm. and then out um and and a lot of times like like this book ravnica a lot of the other ones like they hold up as just one book but i do kind of wish there was an adventure too like that's always what I'm looking for as an adventure. And they've worked really hard in this book to at least give me the inspirations for to, to tell me how to build adventures. They did that in Ravnica as well. Um, and it was my favorite part of the Ravnica book is then telling me how to tell tell stories in that world.
1: yeah And, and to be clear and 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 Dan and uh, Dylan in the chat actually brought up the, you know there's only so much you can bring in. Uh, it, you know they they wrote a book for D and d. And they couldn't really bring in like mana colors and stuff. And I I agree, um, but it would have been nice to have like here's some MP stat, NPC stats for a Johnny, uh, pra- you know, who, who shows up in the setting. Um, but um, but because he's a plane walker, they they sort of skirt him, like he's not re so, he's only sort of there. And there are a number of like bad guys who show up in the, the setting as cards, which would have been interesting monsters to have. Um, and, and we don't have those monsters. So that's a, a thing that I, I you know, that, that's the only thing I'm, I'm missing there as a magic player looking in is like, there's some cool bad guys that'd love to have some, bad, some stats on. And we don't have that.
0: No. We do have a good number of monster stats, and that that was actually one of the other things I wanted to talk about uh, in here. Now, you talked about how you – and and I don't mean to cut you off or whatever or rush through things, um, but we are knocking on 10 minutes to an hour at this point. So uh, for our our quick look um, uh, discussion – I did find the monsters interesting. I did find they tended to gravitate towards the ends, which oftentimes happens in the monsters. There's a decent number of lower-level monsters. There's a decent number of higher-level creatures. There's not a lot sort of in the middle range. There's a little bit, but not a ton. And that's where I need more stuff to chew on. Um, But I also felt... That was another area where I felt like they were taking a page from 4th edition. 4th edition had a tendency to say, here's a monster... And now here's, like, five different variants of a monster, you know? Um, and, yeah. and they did that here as well. Like, here's a Hydra. Now let me give you the two or three variants of a Hydra. Now here's a, a, a whatever, and let me give you two or three different variants. Um, and, and, and it's different than what they've – I mean, they've done that in 5th edition, but they haven't done it like they did in 4th edition. And they do it quite a bit in this book, I found.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I mean I really like the monsters. Um, One thing that I had meant to bring up is that uh, there's actually two other uh, campaigns from third party publishers that uh, are focused on the Greek setting and so I I own both of them either in PDF or PDF and hardcover i uh, got really cool monsters there, too. And I think there's like three different variations on like the Hecatonkire or Underhanded Monster. So it's really cool to see like kind of the gamut that that runs. Uh, but I, I really like that this isn't just, hey, here's some Greek monsters. It's more like here's Greek monsters in the, in the context of Magic the Gathering and like you, how you would translate, kind of sort of translate like the monster that is in this card to a monster that you would fight in D and D and I think that's what a lot of people were looking for, what they did well. And I think you see the same thing. You either see these monsters that are like, you know, your little weak fodder that you have to bring out in the first couple of rounds until you can build up your big meaty monster, uh, that you then try and beat someone up with. But, uh, and I'm oversimplifying magic, the gathering, but you, you, you get what I'm kind of going for um but no i mean uh, the the representation i think is really good there's uh i like i love monsters there's a lot of uh potentiality for that here but uh they they kind of give you a swath rather than a bestiary because of course they have to if they were going to give you a bestiary it would be the whole book right so on and so forth i mean uh I, i i would hope that like somebody in the chat mentioned gilded depths i would hope somebody would be able to maybe flesh that out and and give us the things that we didn't get and maybe kind of fill in the gaps because um, as cool as it would be to have like those mid-level monsters um, like obviously they didn't fit uh, but like this is kind of a contained setting, so you kind of need those to make a complete setting Uh, and until then you're just kind of filling in from the monster manual and I didn't I didn't catch it but did they have any section in the bestiary to say hey Here's monsters that just automatically fit in from the monster manual, like unicorns and, you know, uh, chimeras and so on and so forth. Did they make any mention of that? Because I I didn't read they, they through. Did. You know?
0: Yeah. So and and that's a lot of what's in there. Is is. Here are the here are some classic monsters that are in the Monster Manual, and they list like the basilisk and the cataplebus and the cyclops and whatever. And then with some of them, it's here's specifically some variants of Monster Manual monsters and how and that could be used. Uh, and they also did, uh, speaking of inspiration from previous editions, I also found the the nixborn um, concept and the way it's applied here to be a little reminiscent of third edition templates. Right? They have this, this Nix-born template oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that you can be like, hey, this isn't just a monster, but here's a monster that's Nix-born, that was born of the of the heavens. Apply these extra traits, you know, and that's very much like the third edition template um, era uh, of doing things. So it's interesting mm-hmm. to see, which which I suppose uh, gives those monsters a bit of a power boost without necessarily raising their CR, and so it balances out with the, the PCs that get those supernatural gifts, right? <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: uh, I do think that the uh, the monsters that they do present do an excellent job of presenting this. These are monsters from myth,
2: mm-hmm.
1: as opposed to like, yeah, we've got monsters over in the the next ki- county over. We just avoid that that, that <laughs> valley and it's fine. <laughs> like these are things cursed by the gods. They have a whole section of just mythic monsters mm-hmm. that are named. Beings and so on. Um, that that felt really cool to me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I it, it leaned into the feel of the setting.
0: Okay, yeah, no, absolutely, and 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 I liked the monster section a lot. Uh, similarly, uh, the magic item section, like it's all rare and above. There's no lower level magic items, uh, but at the same time, they fit really well. It's got a whole thing about artifacts in there. Um, I mentioned that it has this sort of, like, how to tell a, a story or build a campaign in this setting section. Uh, and then it gets into an, the second sort of s- part of that chapter. Like, there's two chapters that, at least in the digital version, are both titled Creating Theros Adventures. Uh, one of which is organized by the gods, and the other of which is, like, here's how you do nautical adventures. Here's how you do underworld adventures. And then here's a, a, a sample starter adventures play that actually looks fairly interesting to me um, and then we mentioned that there's a, there's a chapter that's sort of a gazetteer of the world now Jeremiah you mentioned that you didn't spend a lot of time looking at the how to build a, a, an adventure or the campaign sort of section I actually spent a decent amount of time looking at that one but I really did a fast skim on the setting section so I'm curious did you look a little bit more in depth at the setting? Because honestly, I was more interested in being able to tell a type of game than the specifics of the setting. Like in the realms, I care what the locations are because they matter. Whereas to me, the gods are the things that matter more here. So I focused on that. So tell me a little bit about the setting. So um,
1: the fact that this is easily a mirror of ancient Greek myth, Greece. Uh, is not going to be a surprise to anyone. Uh, Akros is essentially Sparta, um, and uh, it is uh, uh, it has a temple to uh, Perforos, which is the sort of fiery creation god, uh, god of passion. Uh, he has a whole bunch of flame speakers living there. It's it's a, an interesting setting. It's very harsh sort of Sparta-like setting. Uh, Miletus is kind of like Athens. Um, they even have a, uh, a setting that is... Uh, a, a, a city that is a mythological Atlantis. Oh, okay. Uh, that uh, Heliod got angered at and sunk with his spear. Uh, like you city- do. yeah. <laughs> um, so, like they, all of those classic mythological Greek cities mm-hmm. sort of have mirrors here. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the there is a m- sort of a m- more rural uh, uh, section uh, that is sort of farms and the like. Um, and uh, it's called Setessa. Okay, that's what that is. Uh, the, the The city states that all of these are are around uh, are called polises, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they vary in how they're ruled depending on which one. Uh, one thing that uh, I did notice that a lot of people will be glad to see on a representation side. Uh, The founding of Miletus The story is that there were Two kings that were Married to each other and uh, That is Representation that certainly Would not have happened in previous Editions I don't think Um, So I I was pleased to see That and uh, Yeah the the, the Actual setting stuff is is Good it gives lots of like Here's a dangerous place the Siren sea right you could
0: go do naval adventures, you know? Tell me, tell me if my, if my inclination though, you think is, is, was a good inclination that because it's so focused on this, a specific type of God focused narrative that the geography and the locations and the setting itself almost becomes secondary to, to focusing on your attention on the gods and those kinds of things. Is that, is that impression that I have accurate, you think? I, I don't
1: think so from okay. what I've seen. First off, different polises have very distinct feels. Like, and they say something about the gods that are sort of the sponsors of those places, for one mm-hmm. thing. Um, for another, the geography is
0: a reflection of the gods in the world. Okay. So so the, the setting and the locations matter because of their connections to the gods, uh, and and so that thread continues through all of it.
1: Yeah, and I think we need to touch on it, but so gods in the setting are very much, uh, along the a sort of second edition idea of uh, gods uh, and, and basic box sets, gods get more power and, and sort of exist purely on the power of belief. Uh, and, you know, previously there were the Titans and then the gods came into being because the humans kept praying for deliverance from the Titans and those prayers became the gods. Mm -hmm. Um, and the gods want to continue existing. So they keep (laughs) doing things that make people believe in them. So, that means sometimes they shape, shape the geography because... You'd think they'd
0: be less petty then. <laughs> like, if their existence involves people liking them, I guess they don't have to like them. They just have to believe in them, right? Yes. Yeah. They just have to believe. <laughs> they don't need to like them. Okay. Fear
1: works too.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, we, we are past the hour mark, and Ish, you haven't had nearly as much time to talk, but why don't you have, uh, share any last thoughts you have?
2: I was just going to say the gods of Theros seem like they're uh, more like uh, social media celebrities. Like, I don't know your YouTubers and so, so <laughs> on. And they're not necessarily there to be nice to you, but they certainly get your attention. that, that That's all I had to say about that. Um, <laughs> let, let, you know, Take that with a grain of salt as you will. But uh, no, um, uh, for last thoughts, I'll be uh, really brief. Uh, but uh, it reminded me of 13th age with the icons. And I thought it was a really way, a good way of yeah. kind of integrating uh, like these kind of authoritative figures but that are there to help you or to act as obstacles but they weren't like the end-all be-all. You were their agents, you, you can interact with them but they don't like, there's not a hard stop on the story because they either want you to stop doing something or they come in and solve it for you. I think that was a really good implementation of it.
0: Jeremiah, any last thoughts? I mean, you and I have had plenty of time to talk but go ahead. <laughs>
1: That's fair. It, once you get me started, it's, it's hard to, to get me to stop. Um, I, think, uh, I think this book does what any setting book should do. It makes me go, I can run a game in here, right? I look at all the things in there and I go, I, I know what I would run in this. And that is... They're doing the job there. The setting has some compelling conflicts. It makes the character, the player characters, seem interesting and powerful and and Im- important to the setting. And uh, uh, the the artwork is excellent. I mean, there's just
0: it's a solid book. There's not much to complain about. No, I and I think you you make a good point. Like I. I struggled with – and I don't mean to constantly compare it to Ravnica because they're two different things and they they can stand alone on their own. But at the same time, I think it's natural because they're the two magic settings, right? Um, sure. When I looked at Ravnica, I spent two-thirds of that book thinking, I don't know – this is interesting, but I don't know how to tell stories in this world until I got to the chapter that was like, here's how to tell stories in this world. And that one chapter like fixed the whole book for me, right? Um, in this book, like – I knew how to tell these stories on chapter one. Like I was ready to go and and I, and, and I knew the kind of stories I, I could tell and that I wanted to tell and how to put them together. And then they kept giving me more and more and more tools for telling those stories. Now, unlike some products where I will pick it up and I'm like, this is not – Something I – that is written in a way that, that is constructing a narrative in a way that I want to tell the story and so I'm just not going to use it. This one I could totally see myself using and it literally just comes down to do, do I and my players decide at some point that this is the kind of story we want to tell. Because it seems really well designed to tell this type of story. And so, if that's you know, if that sort of were the champions of the gods is the type of story we want to tell, I'm going to pick this up and, and use it, right? If we never get around to being like we want to tell that kind of you know have that kind of campaign, then I will happily leave it on the shelf, uh, you know, and, and and maybe you know rip a few things out of it here and there when I when I need to, but otherwise leave it alone, right? And I think that's fine. I like the idea of a of a type of product that does what it does really well and isn't trying to do other things. And I think that's what we have in this book. Is that sound fair?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I mean, it certainly made me wish I had more time for running games because I could totally put together a, a, a game in this setting.
0: That's always true, though. I always want more time for running games. Uh, so anyway, I'm going to go ahead and call that the end of this episode. Uh, I want to thank SkullSplitter Dice. You go to SkullSplitterDice.com slash TomeShow. And if that doesn't work, try SkullSplitterDice.com The Tome because I can't remember exactly what the link is off the top of my head because I'm dumb. Uh, and get a coupon code there. And make sure you follow The Tome Show on Twitter and Facebook for chances to win a bunch of great dice in the next few months. Uh, and then there'll be the contest will continue for a few months after that all the way into September as well. So keep an eye out for what's coming up there. Uh, I also want to say thank you to all of our listeners who support us by shopping at Amazon or DMs Guild through the links at thetomeshow.com or who become our patron patrons at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Uh, just like some of our good friends and patrons, Jared Rasher... Steal Your Mind, who's in the chat right now, Scott Nagel, Hyperlexic, Merrick Blackman, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelche, Doug Palmer, and so many others. I also want to thank our guests, Is- Ismail Alvarez. Where can people go to find you if they want to chat with you some more about stuff?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I am regularly on Twitter. Uh, as one of those aforementioned social uh, media personalities. Not, not not big bridges, though. Uh, and I am there as King Laura Thorne or Elven Wizard King, uh, whichever you find easier to spell. I also do 5th edition uh, material. Uh, I write books and so on uh, for Fat Goblin Games, so you can find me on, on DriveThruRPG if you look up 5th edition Fat Goblin Games, or my name, Ismael Alvarez. There you
0: go. Excellent. And Jeremiah McCoy... If people want to f- t- chat with you some more, and why wouldn't they? Where would they go to do that?
1: So uh, I, I have a website, JeremiahMcCoy.com. Uh I'm on Twitter as Tech Noir. Uh, and on TikTok, which I spend an inordinate amount of time on these days, uh, I am Basics of the Game.
0: Nice. All right, and if you want to get a hold of the show and maybe let us know what you think of this format of the – we've only looked at this for a week and that we're going to do a really in-depth with people that have played it you know, in a few months uh, format. Uh, you can get a hold of us in several ways. You can email tomeshow at gmail.com. You can tweet me. I'm on Twitter as at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. Uh, Tracy, who's not with us tonight, is Sarah Dark magic Sarah with an H. You can tweet the show; it is at the Tome Show, and you should definitely be following it because there's chances right now this month to to win fabulous prizes for for doing something simple like retweeting something. Uh, and you can also follow us on Facebook and we have a Discord channel if you're interested in the Discord uh, make sure you you let me know either through Twitter or uh, the, the Facebook or the, the email address and whatever I'll send you whatever the link is at the moment uh, and you can come join the great community there we have on Discord uh, and that is our first surprise round episode this time about Theros where we underwent an ordeal and were, that was granted to us by a god in
2: this episode of... Plateau, 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 Plateau.
1: I'm on the walk.